Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello, this is Andrea Olson, your host for the Customer Mission Series as part of the Women in Manufacturing Podcast. And today we're going to talk a little bit about talent attraction and retention. And you know, manufacturers today talk excessively about the struggle with getting skilled talent within the organization. And many HR folks that we've spoken to have said they are using many of the traditional methods to try to find talent, whether it's posting on job boards, bringing folks in for interviews, trying to give them tours of the facility, and then getting a hire on board only to have them turn around and be gone in 30, 60, or 90 days. And, you know, a lot of folks have said, hey, we just need more talent in the pipeline. We need more talent in schools and we need a bigger pool of candidates. But I question the fact that are we going about talent attraction in the right way? Because it's no secret that attracting talent is crucial to the success of your organization, your business. But however, getting the right candidate for the job can be a really daunting task. So Unfortunately, no matter how much effort you put into this process, it's really the smaller details where things can go wrong because the landscape of hiring has changed. Back in the day, people used to get a job out of high school or college and stay in that job for 10, 20, 30 years. And now the the environment is where people are starting to move around to different jobs They're looking for areas where they can grow and advance their own skill sets at an organization. They're looking for new challenges. They're looking for advancement. They're also looking for monetary growth, but that's not the sole reason why they stay with an individual job. So, you know, as HR, as managers, you know, we're making simple mistakes that are really impeding the number of valid qualified, solid candidates that are being brought to the table. And, you know, things like creating a rigid checklist of qualities and qualifications for candidates, it just makes that selection process ineffective because we're not looking at the right things. We're making that lane too narrow. So there's really eight core mistakes that we have seen organizations make in regards to trying to recruit and retain talent. And we're going to go over these issues today. And number one is really the job description. You know, it's a very simple thing. We think the job description needs to be clear. It's going to use specific keywords because we're looking for specific talent and specific skill sets. But the job description, first and foremost, actually needs to sell the company and it needs to sell the role. Because with unemployment being so low, it is an employee market right? They can pick and choose not only across different organizations, but across different industries. They're looking at their own skill sets and saying, where am I a good fit? And is this organization a place I want to work? Because they have that flexibility. So the era of dry and generic job descriptions is just long gone. So today, candidates, they just anticipate more from a job posting. And and they'll lose interest if it's not well-crafted. You know, in, in fact, posting a job description that, that isn't comprehensive may spark interest from talented candidates, but consequently leave you with the wrong ones. 
So you want to ensure that your job description is creative and exhaustive, that all the desired qualifications and qualities that you're looking for in a candidate are clearly defined. And we're not just talking about roles within the job. We're talking about, do you want someone that's innovative? Do you want that some, someone that's creative? And what opportunities do they have to use those skill sets in this role and within your organization? So just resist that urge to settle for the generic qualification bullet list and, and duties, right? Those tactical things are going to do. Frame it as challenges. Frame it as opportunities. Frame it as something that is exciting, that makes this role stand out from every other job listing out there. And elaborate more on the culture of the company. You know, talk about opportunities for growth. Talk about organizational goals. Talk about, about how a candidate can perfectly fit that organization if they decide to take that job or apply for that job. So it's not so much of that candidates are desperately seeking positions. It's that you are now in the position to sell the role as an opportunity and sell the company as an opportunity to an employee candidate. And that segues us to number two, which is not recruiting internally. A lot of organizations look at their talent pool, they look at people in roles and say, we've got this new position, but we're gonna have to start looking outside the organization. It doesn't mean you can't, but you should really examine not just what roles you have inside the organization, but the talent within those roles. And we've found in the past that oftentimes a lot of companies actually will look over people's job descriptions and resumes if they're looking to hire an internal candidate, right, for a new position, but they don't realize their soft skills. Let's say you have a position that's opening up in marketing that's, let's say, for photography and design, and you go, we don't have anyone on staff that has that on their resume, but you don't know that maybe one or two or three people do that type of activity on the side as a hobby. It's their passion and interest, but their role in the organization is something else. It could be project management. It could be customer service. So it's about understanding the skill sets and interests and passions within each and every employee, because you already might have somebody inside the organization that would be perfect for the job. And that's the thing. They just might be right under your nose. And the best thing about internal recruiting is that it's super economical. It cuts down on all the costs associated with advertising for external candidates and Honestly, your existing staff is really well acquainted with your business environment, organizational processes, value, mission, vision, et cetera. So, you know, there are just high chances that an internal recruit will catch up in that new role much quicker than an outsider and very well could perform way better. So internal recruitment also comes in handy with boosting employee morale. So, you know, think about training, promoting your existing staff to these newer and more exciting roles. And it's really about right fit. If you do need someone from the outside, by all means, explore that path and bring them in. But first and foremost, examine what talents you have because adding a headcount is adding cost and overhead to the organization. If you really need a new person, by all means, get them. But sometimes you're gonna have folks inside the organization that can take on those new roles very effectively. Which actually leads us to number three, which is not effectively evaluating skills versus job titles. 
So this is something that just really frustrates us to no end. We've seen many hiring managers look at previous titles on resumes as a precursor to that candidate's potential as a hire. And titles continually change, and they're often unique across different industries. So someone that was a purchasing manager at one company might be called a purchasing specialist at another, or they might be called a purchasing coordinator, but maybe their duties were exactly the same. In addition, maybe their skills were very unique at a specific organization. And outside of title, those skill sets might be perfect for what you're trying to seek out. So titles really don't provide insight to those experiences. They don't, they don't give you that information. But many larger companies utilize this automated resume review software, which finds individual keywords and resumes, and then automatically eliminates applicants without a certain number of keywords. So we're not really taking the time to dig into resumes and understand talents and skills versus job titles. We make a big assumption that someone's previous job titles and positions at organizations bring a certain amount of talent, and they might not. They really might not have had the same level of responsibility that you're looking for for your role. So to be truly effective in resume reviews, honestly, managers must read and review the position descriptions and dig into skills-based questions within the interview to gain a full picture of that candidate's abilities. And I will tell you that we've seen candidates that have come from manufacturing environments and come from supplier environments, and they have trouble transitioning between the two. And if you think about, for example, looking to hire someone within your organization from a supplier, they're going to bring a lot of knowledge and skill sets and experience that maybe it will be incredibly value, valuable, but their title could very well be sales. Their title could very well be a general manager or territory manager. But yet in your organization, that title would be purchasing or supply chain manager, right? So it's about understanding the skill sets and their knowledge and experience and whether that talent can be trained or whether that is actually learned through experience and time on the job. So a big differentiation there. Number four and, and this is something that recruiters do all the time, is fail to create a definitive timeline for the hiring process. So, you know, whether your hiring process is, is too quick or too slow, the chances that a wrong candidate will be hired exponentially increase. So if, if your hiring process is rushed, you got to get a body in there right now. Managers are, are just likely to overlook critical routines such as, as background checks, right? And that can be just a recipe for disaster. But alternatively, on the other end of the spectrum, if you drag your feet, right, and you take an inordinate amount of time to follow up and get back, and we've seen even, you know, weeks and months at a time, up to six months in that process, that potential candidates, good candidates, they're going to also look for job opportunities elsewhere at the same time. And then if someone else turns that around quicker, that candidate is off the table for you. So you need to create a definitive timeline for the hiring process 
and determine how much time will be spent on reviewing applications, follow-ups, et cetera, et cetera. And let those candidates know, right? Because if they have an understanding of how much time it's going to take on your end, you're setting expectations for them. And knowing that you're going to reduce the opportunity that you're going to lose a solid candidate just because you're moving too slow. On the other end of the spectrum, as we mentioned, if you're moving too fast, you're cutting too many corners, right? You put a lot of emphasis on that interview and how you feel in that conversation. And sometimes that's not really the most comprehensive set of background that you can get on a potential candidate. And that moves us to number five, is interviewing and how much weight we put on that process and how the interviewer behaves. So there are sometimes cases where an interviewer can go through so many interviews and start to get burned out. And so with, when that happens, their interaction with that potential candidate decreases in quality. Maybe they you know, short a couple questions. Maybe they come in late. Maybe they're distracted. That is a really bad first impression. It's the setting the example for how is it going to be to work here, right? Are you always harried? Are things uh, messy and discombobulated? Or are things smooth and thorough? And it's just like anytime you meet someone for the first time, you want to have that great first impression. So, you know, things like punctuality and, and professional etiquette are commonly emphasized on the interviewee side, but get little attention from the interviewer, right? So as a result, you'll find that some interviewers show up, as I mentioned, they'll, they'll show up late or they'll rush things or they'll give the interviewee little time to answer questions. So, you know, we've seen other interviewers answer phone calls and emails while conducting an interview or discussing other candidates and openly mocking the current candidate, the person they're talking to. Like, like these types of behaviors are all deterrents to these potential candidates. And in addition, they're going to harm your company's reputation by sending the wrong message. So if the interviewer is, is just showing pure contempt for professional etiquette, it's, it's more likely that the organization as a whole doesn't highly regard professionalism and work ethics either, right? So even if a candidate was successfully passed the interview, move on to the next phase, the likelihood of them declining the job offer or taking the job and leaving quickly is significantly increased. So it all comes back to how that interview was conducted. It's very, very important to make that experience a solid, thorough, and professional one. Number six is hiring underqualified candidates. And honestly, companies do this all the time. They're looking for a deal, right? You want a person that's going to fill the role good enough at a very good price, right? Because it doesn't mean you don't want talent, but you don't want to overpay for a role. So you actually look at hiring a candidate that is just qualified enough. On the other end of the spectrum, some managers actually are afraid to hire people who they feel are more confident and talented than them because they perceive them as threats. So at the end of the day, they end up recruiting a candidate who's less qualified for the open position. But smart managers appreciate the importance of having the right fit 
they appreciate the importance of having bright people on their teams, right? They understand that sometimes with that value comes price, whether that's salary, whether that's benefits, whether that's flexibility, it really doesn't matter because they understand that these people offer insight on critical matters and use their strengths to their advantage of the entire team, right? It's the rising tide raises all boats. So hiring people who are better than you can actually be much more beneficial, right? Somebody who has brings a lot to the table can not only improve your personal skills, but actually propel the business overall to succeed. So you can always get brilliant solutions from these types of folks when faced with tough situations. So don't think of, of those roles that you're hiring for as this individual slot, but what can that individual bring to the organization to see new opportunities and ideas, help implement those and raise the organization as a whole? Because every facet of the organization, every individual role is critically important and really makes an impact on the success of the company. So number seven is rejecting candidates that are perceived as overqualified. So this is the other end of the spectrum, right? You know, so when screaming resumes for, for shortlisting, right, it, you may be tempted to weed out applicants who have, let's say, skills and education way beyond that job requirement, right? You might look at it as, hey, they're way overqualified. Hey, they're going to be expensive. I don't think it's going to be a cultural fit. You know, we need to push this candidate to the side. But however, the truth is, is that having a higher education level doesn't necessarily mean the candidate is overqualified. So the vital factor to consider here is, is whether that education qualification or experience is just really a great fit for the job. So if not, you know, such a candidate is actually starting more or less than a similar level than any other applicant, right? Basically, the bottom line is that more education does not mean more experience, but it also means that they have some background that maybe is bringing a new perspective to the table. It's both sides of the coin. So it's vital that hiring managers steer clear of any overqualified discrimination, right? If you look at something in a black and white setting, it's about what is the right fit for the job? What skills do they bring to the table? And whether they have a high level of education or a low level of education doesn't mean that the skill set and the talent isn't there. And number eight, lastly, number eight, is focusing solely on money. And this is the big thing, especially with manufacturers that we've seen. They're looking for talent. Let's say they're looking for a welder and they say, we're bringing this salary to the table. Our competitors bring a higher salary. We can't compete because we just can't pay that rate. You know, and this assumption is really the fact that people think it's only about money, that by offering a higher salary than their competitors is going to automatically attract and retain talent. There are some folks that are motivated by money but many others are motivated by other benefits, whether that be traditional 401k, health insurance, et cetera. Some really care about flex time because of family dynamics. Some folks care about the ability to learn, advance, and grow and have upward mobility in organization. Some care about culture. And is it fun to work at this company, 
even if the job is maybe a challenging one, right? So salaries are just an indicator of how much an organization values its workforce. But other studies also indicate that satisfying employees' inner motivational needs, autonomy, and flexibility really do supersede economic considerations. You have to think about that one third of your life is actually at work. One third sleeping, one third's at work, and one third is everything else. So if you're gonna spend a third of your life at a workplace, you want it to be a positive environment. You want it to be something that you don't dread each and every day. You know, many people do something for a paycheck, but for a dollar less an hour, would you have would you accept a healthier environment that's more flexible, that gives you more benefits to fit your overarching lifestyle and family needs. So it's really about having a strategy of how you can go about shaping what your organization offers and recruiting based on what you can bring to the table to a potential candidate. On the other end of the coin, that potential candidate, you need to understand what their talents, skills are, and true experience outside of superficial titles. Don't have those preconceived notions on they've had too much or too little education. What can they really do? Fold in some skills tests, fold in some talent tests to understand what their capabilities are. Have deeper conversations with not just the hiring manager, but other managers or employees that are going to interact with that potential new candidate. So you can see how what they're going to bring to the table from a talent perspective and how other employees are going to enjoy working with that person. So you can start shaping your organizational culture. So, you know, the recruitment process overall, it, we know it's going to be costly. We know it's a time consuming affair, but therefore it's even more important that you get it right. You need to be sure that you're doing the right things to attract the right candidates who are a good fit, not just for the job, but for your organizational culture as a whole. So we hope that today's discussion about talent traction and retention have at least given you some tips to help you in that process. Of course, we are talking about employee engagement, customer engagement, intelligence, and organizational communication. That's what the customer mission series is all about. My name is Andrea Olson. Of course, I am your host. And thank you for listening. And we look forward for you to tuning in next time. Thank you. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.